Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening once again to this episode of Unapologetically Avram. So I'm going to continue concerning my personal development last issue. I called it my personal black history, and I like to keep up with that theme. But this is really just my own personal narrative, and I hope this really gives you some insight into the personal drivers, the personal force, and what pushes me to do unapologetically Avon. One of the things that I'm really convinced is that all of us, we have our own background, our lens, if you would call it, that structures the way that we view and we see the world. So these next three episodes, I went over part one, today is part two, We'll do part three last, and this is going to give you my own personal history of what pushes me to do what I'm doing. So I ended the last episode of the realization of uh, me recognizing that being black was a problem, the whole Rodney King, right? And that was right around the time that I was like uh, eight or yeah, about seven or eight years old. So, as you know, I was gone for a while, and that is because a lot of what I'm going to touch on is really one of the toughest things for me to talk about within my personal history. Around the time that I was nine years old, my parents got a divorce. Now, I'm not really going to discuss uh, my parents' marriage because that is uh, my mom and my dad's marriage because that is their business. I was a child, and as a child, I do recognize that my scope is limited into what my parents as adults were, were facing at the time. And I want to extend that grace to my mom and to my dad. Um, but as a child, it was something that was rather shattering and that the basis for my formation was really uh, broken down. With that being said, I say that in that the earlier parts I knew what it meant for me to be an evangelical and an evangelical Christian. Now, I didn't have the vocabulary to express it as such then. I just simply thought of it as being Christian. But I understood what it meant to be an evangelical, what it meant to be a Protestant, what it meant to be a Southerner, and what it meant to be a conservative Christian at that time. But I didn't really quite make the connection of what it meant to be black. And now that my parents are going through this divorce, now there are even some other factors that are about to walk into my life and give me quite a different perspective. So my mom moves out with a gentleman who will become my stepdad, and we move out to New Mexico. Now, let me paint this picture for you. We get in a Chevrolet Astro minivan. We drive from Raleigh, North Carolina through I-40 all the way across to get to Rio Rancho, New Mexico, which at the time was a smaller suburb just outside of Albuquerque. Now it is, I may be exaggerating, but you get the picture. It is a thriving metropolis of Rio Rancho, now the second largest municipality in the state of New Mexico. 
and we move out there in 93. So here you have an African-American boy of me, nine years old, moving out with my mom, who was black, my older brother, Justin, who was also black, my stepdad, who is white. He has two sons. He has a son named that's my age, uh, Matthew, who is also white, a few months older than me, and my younger brother, who is three years younger than me, Scott, who is also white. This is a not only just a blended family with step family, but it is also blended racially. Now, at this time, these are not my stepbrothers. These are friends. But the bond that we developed um, just as young boys really made us like real good friends and just as if we were brothers anyway. So we move out to New Mexico where there was a nice surrounding of black people where I was and Raleigh to now, I'm not going to say there were no black people, but there were not as many black people. So there's this whole nother culture that really stems from Southwest indigenous Americans of like Navajo and Pueblo. There was also a larger um, Latin America, Hispanic uh, population out there and a lot of white people. So this is now the surrounding that I have in my formative years, okay? Now, once again, I'm not gonna say there were not any black people. There just weren't as many. So a lot of the friendships, the way that I'm understanding, the connections I'm making around a lot of my friends are not people who have the kinky hair, dark skin that I have. So of course, there were the jokes. People always wanted to touch my hair. Um, when I had my hair cut low, people saying that I don't have any hair. Once again, a lot of ignorance. They didn't know either. But this is now the surrounding that I have amongst myself. It's just not really having a lot of black people around me. And as I'm continuing to form my friendships and my connections, it is based on cultures that do not really resemble mine. So once again, as I'm forming this identity, it's now based off of what I see with the, the probably the biggest influence was the Hispanic culture. All right. So that is the culture that I'm growing up at the time. Now, fast forward, you know, my, um, my mom and my stepdad, eventually they get married. He's now officially my stepdad. They um, have a child, my baby sister, who is 12 years younger than me. So now you have three white people, three black people, and a biracial girl in there. This is making finding a church pretty difficult. Now, we join, for the most part, this larger mega ministry out there, Calvary Chapel, um, that's out there. Really, really good ministry. It was a great place to get lost in. So I believe the word was good for my mom and my stepdad. They had a very good children's ministry. As far as I can recall, I don't remember a, a whole lot about it other than it wasn't, it didn't do damage to me, uh, but it was a pretty good children's ministry. And once again, pretty much very much steeped in, in the evangelical tradition. For some reason, once again, it was just hard for us to find a ministry. So we tried a few ministries. But by the time I got into the seventh grade, we find a ministry that we can really resonate and connect with. 
and that is Faith Evangelical Free Church out in Rio Rancho. It was real close to the house that we lived. We could basically walk there, and they had a tremendous youth group out there. It was phenomenal. I remember at one time we were even we even had a play that we were casting all of the the kids in the uh, ministry. And I was so excited to really partake and this is for those of you who know me, y'all know I'm extra. I believe deep down inside I'm going to be an actor. My biggest dream job is actually being one of those actors on the progressive commercials. So if any of you all have any contacts, I'm shooting my shot now. All right. I'm shooting my shot now for the progressive commercials. That being said, back to the story, we get into this play. But what was interesting is once again, this church, it was prim- it was predominantly a white church. But my brother got a great part. He was also black, all right? But the leading role that he got was to play the evil character in this play. Now, I don't want to call it racist. I'm just going to say it was quite a coincidence that one of the other black boys in this ministry happened to play the evil role. So, I said what I said. I'm not calling anybody racist. I'm just saying it was a coincidence. So my brother, he gets this role. We're thriving. We're really growing, enjoying being a part of uh, this, this ministry. And it was a really great youth program. And we were really growing, making connections. And one of the other big things and events that happened is my love for the Bible really begins to take up full steam here. And the reason why is my dad, who is still living out in Raleigh, North Carolina, he purchases a Bible for me. And the Bible that he purchases for me is the NIV Teen Study Bible. And what is so great about this Bible is it not only has the Bible in an easy-to-read translation of the NIV, but it also has these nice little essays geared towards teens. And this is, without even realizing it, this is where I really began to bud and grow as a miniature theologian, and I really enjoyed this Bible. I was always reading this Bible, whether it was the scriptures or these essays themselves. I could not put this Bible down. And this was really the beginning of me diving into the biblical text and beginning to ask questions. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Avram Davis, founder of Unapologetically Avram. And I want to formally invite you to become a patron of unapologeticallyavram.com. The reason for this is that in our various geographies, our various churches, there is one body, one church. And for that reason, racism has no place. Join with me 
in this fight so that we can be that authentic church that Jesus gave his life for. If you are serious about the church's commitment to ending racism, and if you believe the church's commitment to being that multi-ethnic, multicultural vibe that we see in Revelation 7 and 9, go to www.patreon.com forward slash unapologetically even, where for as little as $3 a month, you can help us advance this mission to eradicate racism, to be a safe place for believers of color, to be seen, heard, validated, and celebrated, and to ultimately foster authentic community. Thank you so much, and please consider joining. So all of this is going down in middle school. And middle school, I think, is one of the roughest and toughest uh, times of development for a young person. There's a lot of um, changes going on within the body, within the mind, and it just really makes reorienting oneself in their social location. It just makes all of these things even more interesting. And for me, I really began to wonder how I really meshed with the various networks that I was in. I was really wondering how do I belong into the grand scheme of things. And this really began even earlier, I realized, but this really began to develop within me what I realized was um, a sense of anxiety begins to develop intensely at this time. Now, once again, I did not have the vocabulary to really know what I was going through. I just simply felt it within my mind, within my body, and where I was. Once again, I am a black boy, and I'm trying to negotiate what it means for me to be a black boy, but Everything that I really see that I'm connecting with and connect with does not really look like me. Now, my mom, she is from the Charlotte area. And her and my stepdad are having conversations and they decide that they're going to move from New Mexico back to the Charlotte area. Now. I am used to being one of the few black people around. Nope, I'm the only person that really looks like me. Um, there's a style of dress that we had out there in New Mexico where we were really rocking the these uh, jeans, this one denim company called Jankos or Jankos, right? These were really baggy pockets. The 90s were the best time for fashion. And they wore things differently once we moved back to, to Charlotte. So once again, there's a vocabulary, language, a vernacular that I have that matches Southwestern United States, which largely emulates from um, LA as well as from uh, Dallas and, um, and Houston, right? And now we're moving back over into the Southeast. 
that is largely mirrored off of um, the Atlanta culture in Charlotte. So once again, I'm having another culture shock in trying to fit in. Now, here you have a white father, a black mother, two black boys, two white boys, and a biracial daughter. Where in the Sam Hill are we going to find a church that everybody can really relate to? So for a good few years, we could not find a church that everybody truly and genuinely felt comfortable with. And a lot of the black churches that we came down here, people were looking at my stepdad weird. And a lot of the white church, some of the more uh, uh, white churches that we went to, we on on the black side just just really didn't didn't feel comfortable with. And then it's a matter of finding children's ministry and children's programs, and and then among other things that that were just going on, it just made finding a church difficult. But then we find a Southern Baptist church that everybody really felt comfortable with. And that's right, you heard. The irony is that in this blended family, it was a Southern Baptist related, I should say, church that we really felt comfortable in. Now, there are so many great things that I could say about this ministry. It was in this particular ministry where I was the age of about 14 years old that they had a moment of time for prayer where people could go up to the altar and really get prayer. So I go up there for prayer and I really felt an intense calling that at the age of 14 that God was really calling me into the ministry Particularly, I thought I was being called to go into missions and being called as a missionary at that time. The youth group, we were planning a trip to go to Cuba for a variety of reasons. Me and my siblings, we didn't go, but this really ignited in me that I really needed to go into missions and that this is where God was calling me. And at the age of about 14, 15 years old, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to dedicate my life to go into ministry. I had no idea how that was going to look or how that really was going to play out, but I knew for certain that I wanted to go into ministry at the age of 15 years old. This was a, a church that the pastor at the time had really started. He had left um, a more prominent Southern Baptist ministry in the Charlotte area, started this ministry. And me and my, my siblings, we were a major part of the youth group. Now, we weren't the only children there. They had, they had a nice mix of children, but we were a part of the youth group. Once again, um, just real excited and engaged to be a part of the youth group. Now, they did it a little differently than the Faith Evangelical Free Church that we were at, and that they combined the middle school and the high school together. But it is also at this time that I get my first crack of ministry, and the youth minister at that time 
Um, he really saw something in me. Uh, he mentored me. He encouraged me. And he gave me a chance for the first time to really tell my testimony up until that point of me and men, of, of, of the things that I had gone through. So I gave my uh, testimony at the time, and that was my first speaking engagement of really in some way, shape, or form, and getting into some informal leadership in the youth group. So we were really a part of this ministry. My mom, talented singer, she was singing in the choir. Uh, me and my brothers getting real active in the youth group, building friends. Um, I still have some lifelong friends from people in that ministry now. And I also remember, as they had just established deacons, there was another, um, there were a few African-American families there at the time. And I remember they assigned uh, one of the men, was uh, one of the African-American men became a deacon and he was assigned to our family. And I remember being so excited because I really looked up to and admire this particular deacon. And I was so glad that somebody that looked like me was going to be my deacon. And it was really just amazing. So, but of course, all good things come to an end. And it really just became harder uh, for my family to really just to fit in into this ministry with the blended and diversity of family uh, that I had. But I also want to point out, up until this point, a lot of my associations have been with primarily white churches and in white spaces. I did not really uh, make any connections or build any of my identity within what is labeled as the black church. So a lot of my formation and my understanding of what it means to be a Christian is based off of the stereotypical white evangelical model of what it means to be probably primarily conservative first and then a Christian second. And I believe um, me saying that is going to be controversial, but I ask you to continue to listen to the podcast, engage with me on Twitter, and I will explain why I say this within this way. So that really wraps up part two of my personal history, my lens, my formation of why I do the work that I do. In all, I still believe that the church matters and that the church is important. And I'm beginning to understand just a lot of the tensions that come with being a Christian. Once again, at this point that I'm up and through, you know, my freshman and sophomore years in high school through middle school, to me, the most important issue for Christians in America is to fight abortion at this time. Now, continue listening. This is going to develop. So thank you for listening to this. And I want to say to all of my Christian siblings out there, I encourage you to continue to love on one another. I have just recently been made aware of a shooting out in Nashville. I'm going to talk about that on a special podcast episode. My heart really hurts for everyone that has been impacted. 
I hope that we use this time to grieve and to mourn with those who mourn and not to use this as a time to make a statement, political statement, one way or another. With that being said, I think it's common sense to not to really say that something needs to be done with gun control. With that being said, let's all continue to fight together to eradicate racism, to make a safe place for believers of color to feel seen, heard, validated, and celebrated and appreciated. And if you are a believer of color, go where you are celebrated and not tolerated. And ultimately, let us foster authentic community.